UX Podcast Episode 111. Hi, and welcome to UX Podcast, balancing business technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm Pat Axbom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. And we're doing a link show today, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, we, we've we've kind of confused ourselves a little bit now in the morning. So we're we're recording. This is episode 111. Is it? Yeah. Well, you always keep track of those. Yeah. I don't. And and after this, we're actually going to record intro outro for episode 110. That's true. So if we refer to something in the future, it may be actually in the, in past. the past. Yeah. <clears throat> That's made it all clear, hasn't it? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. No, I don't know what it means. <laughs> So we're um, we're here and we're recording mm. and we're confusing ourselves. Mm. Uh, yes, today is a link show, um, and um, we for those of you who have not listened to a link show before, um, then this is when we take um, or we 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 share three articles that we've um, read or discovered during our digital travels uh, in recent weeks. Um, I like how you say digital travels. You do like that. What does that mean? I have no idea. Yeah, because you always say that when you introduce a link show, and I'm always thinking. When do I digitally travel? <laughs> Things I find on Twitter. We have a teleport system. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. What I mean when I say digital um, travels is that it's it's not like it's not like the old days where your newspaper would arrive mm. and you read basically a newspaper. Mm. You had a particular flavor of, of of content, or you watched the news. Right. Everything was very definitive before. Mm. We had so few channels. It was the news. We had you had two channels here in Sweden, and yep. we had. Well, when I was growing up, three in the beginning and then four mm. channels in the UK. Mm. It was very, very slimmed down. Now, we travel around during the week. Um, we, we flirt around between different mm. um, channels, consumption channels. We, you know, I read stuff from all kinds of different apps, services, mm. mediums, um, or medium itself. But, you know, it's, it's LinkedIn, it's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's email newsletters, mm. um, it's, it's RSS feeds and, you know, Flipboard and or chat you you can mm. send me a link via hangouts or something i mean there's so many different inputs so when i say digital travels i'm just trying to encompass mm. all the inputs that so we it's have. a huge field with different paths that you're following there are different flowers growing everywhere and you pick some of the flowers and you leave some of them be and so these are some of the flowers we found i guess that was lovely that. Mm, wasn't it that was poetic i'm a poet and didn't know it well, we are chatty today. Let's, so, let's get on with it. Let's get on with telling you quickly now, um, so you can um, prepare yourself a little bit. We're, our three articles are going to be, um, Who Needs UX Strategy? Um, which is an article um, by uh, Paul Bryan. Yes. It was a little bit further down my notes than I expected. Um, and then we will also be talking about um, seven things that make it harder to manage your interna- sorry, multinational websites. And that's by Lise Bessonette-Genodi. Thank you. And third up is going to be Meta Moments, Thoughtfulness by Design. By Andrew Grimes. Let's take the first one. So, who needs UX strategy? I found this one um, on LinkedIn during my digital travels. Ah, you did? Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is where I, I, I read it, even though it's from August um, uh, it was it was September almost oh it was September I think when I actually read it mm-hmm. um, by Paul Bryant who is the creator of um, UX Strat conference. Yep. Um, now something that 
you, you realise very quickly when reading this article is um, it's been used as a vehicle to promote the conference. True. Um, yeah, fair Which enough. Which is okay. Which is okay. I yeah. mean, you know, we use this podcast as a vehicle mm. for promoting mm. conferences at mm. times, so, you know, I can't mm. complain overly about that. Um, generally, the, the, qual- the quality of content on UX Matters is high. So, yeah. oh, of course, it's on uxmatters.com, mm. is this article. It's quite a long article, uh, so it takes a while to read. Uh, the premise of it, or the title at least, is Who Needs UX Strategy? So I'm expecting something to tell me about, well, who, who needs UX Strategy? But it's also defining UX Strategy, uh, Paul Bryan's definition of it. And uh, he's going into the different pitfalls you, you fall into when trying to do UX and when you might need a UX strategy or the different situations in which you might need a UX strategy. Yeah, he describes the, mm. the, the symptoms mm. that um, you might have that would require his cure. And also def- <clears throat> defines the components of, yeah. of, of a UX strategy. And uh, we're not going to be dive into uh, every bit and piece of this, um, but I think we're in agreement with Paul that UX strategy is, is something or a term uh, that has come into being that people are talking more and more about uh, for some reason. We, we've talked previously with... Uh, Simon well, Norris. The past episode, actually, with Simon Norris, yeah. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. in, that, in that episode, though, mm-hmm. I mean, what you, especially mm-hmm. me, I was quite critical about the, the phrase UX strategy mm-hmm. and that it's, it's, it's maybe transitional mm-hmm. and some, it will basically fade away eventually. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, we're, we're a bit critical about the phrase UX strategy, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we acknowledge that there is... Uh, there a, seems to be a, a need, need a need for <laughs> articulating something yeah. that is UX strategy. Although I think uh, you and me, James, we usually that actually is within the term UX itself. It doesn't uh, yeah. need to be its own. Uh, and we also talked to Jared Spool about this uh, previously, uh, where he says uh, something along the lines of, "You cannot have UX strategy without having user research." Uh, and yeah, that's exactly. an interesting if point. If user research, mm-hmm. if um, if deep user research mm-hmm. is not part um, of your user strategy process, yeah. it's not um, UX strategy. Sorry, I said user strategy, then yeah. UX strategy. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is what Dara said, and we had a show talking about that. Which is a good point, because this article actually does not talk a whole lot about user research. No, it actually mm-hmm. doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mention directly user search, or not deep user research. Mm. In the in the seven components of UX strategy, um, Paul actually flirts with well, data-driven personas um, uh, and making experience, well, map, mapping how customers interact with products and services, but it talks about these things being maybe already done or, um, as I said, data-driven personas, not research-based personas. Mm. Um, and and there's, there's just no mention of usability testing or, or, or user research. It's completely devoid from yeah. this from this strategy. That should, um, in my view, that should be ingrained into the organization, the, the research. So it, that should definitely be part of a UX strategy. But if if you have something that you call a UX strategy, yeah. otherwise you'd say it's part of the culture or part of how you work or yeah. part of something else. It's part of the execution. Mm. Um, the, like we talked about mm. previously, that the, doing some of these tasks is, is, is tactical. It's a, it's, a, it's a micro thing. But the, the macro level, um, you have to have the, mm. the pieces in place. So, yeah, so Paul outlines what he says are the components of the UX strategy. And I'm not going to list them all here and now. You can go in the article and, and read yeah. them. And then um, he also has a diagram uh, of a customer experience where he lists uh, business strategy, brand strategy, UX strategy. And now actually has a box there that's oh, not mentioned in the text. Ta- yeah, ongoing text research. That says ongoing research. Hmm. So I'm going to give him that. At the same time, what I have a problem with is why do we have these different silos of strategies? Why isn't UX part of the product strategy? 
why do we have to have different strategies that have to align with with, with each other? That's something else he come, goes into that actually first the UX strategy has to align with the business strategies. You put some work into that. Why don't you just make it part of the business strategy? Why, why do we have all these different documents? I don't even know what it is. Is it a document? Is no. it uh, a feeling? Is it some, how is it communicated so that people actually feel ownership of a strategy? Mm. I think in, um, in, um, in Paul's case here, it feels like um, it's, um, it's a framework, is what he's talking about, mm. rather than a, a strategy. A side box here, a side panel, he says, if a company has multiple digital products and services, creating a cohesive experience strategy across the ecosystem mm-hmm. is essential to optimizing return on investments. Mm-hmm. And I'm translating that as mean, well, you know, you need, you need digital governance and a framework in place to allow you to, to, to um, develop good digital stuff. Yeah, a user-centric yeah. product and services. Yes. Which ties in with what mm-hmm. we talked about with um, 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 Lisa Welshman. Yeah. Um, that you've got to get the, the, the foundations in place yeah. across your organization um, through div- digital mm-hmm. governance in, to enable organizations to succeed, to remove the barrier uh, that is hindering the, the development mm-hmm. and progress of, um, um, of digital, um, rather than focusing purely on UX. Um, and, and here we're trying to focus m- maybe too much on UX to solve problems which are a um, bit broader than UX, actually. Yeah, and it, yeah exactly. It seems to me also that there's a lot of confidence put into this document, this UX strategy document uh, that people are supposed to align their work with. Uh, he makes a point about uh, how a product manager, uh, thinking of an agile work format now, needs UX strategy support. I'm not sure they need UX strategy support. I think they need to actually be involved more in the process of talking to users, uh, doing the user research, doing the experience maps. They need to be involved yeah. in the work to understand it and to have to come with the right input mm-hmm. in, in, their, in their position as a product manager. Yeah. If, you, if you don't have that fundamental understanding of the importance of the customer or the user yeah. as part of your work, then you haven't, you haven't got it. You're not, you're not going to succeed. Um, product manager doesn't just need support from a UXer. They need to have that fundamental understanding mm. in there somewhere. They don't need to be able to wireframe and all that kind mm. of stuff or whatever um, specialist skill you, you, you have. But they definitely need to have the buy-in in the, in the belief mm. of, of the kind of core concept of mm. user-centric uh, uh, way of working. Mm. I mean, I, 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 with this article, when I was reading it, I got down to, I, I pretty much got down to point two. And is um, in in the list of um, um, situations that require UX strategy. Um, before I started to lose a bit of faith, and you know, I started to kind of question it an awful lot and and wonder about what was going mm. on. Um, I'd give it a bit of a chance earlier on, but point two is um, a minimum viable product yields insufficient evidence, and it, it then goes on. Uh, the article goes on to talk about MVP, and I quite quickly realised that MVP is completely misunderstood. Yeah, in this article, it's been it's fallen into that trap of describing MVP as something that's not that good. That you're satisfied with releasing a product that's, that's not finished. That's not finished, or it's not yeah, yeah it's just not quality wise yeah. good enough. Right, and that is not at all what minimum viable product is. I mean, that's no. minimum viable product is when you're testing a hypothesis, and the the least things you need to be able to test that hypothesis is what you do. It's about experimentation. Yeah, and and doing the absolute minimum exactly, exactly the minimum that you need to. Um, get an answer to whatever you, you're, yeah. you're playing with. Um, it's not about releasing a crap product. Mm. You're doing it wrong. 
Um, and, and UX strategy mm. isn't going to help you. Mm. If, if that's the way you're looking at MVP, then mm. UX strategy is probably going to make things worse rather than, um, than better because you've still got this mm. underlying problem of misunderstanding. So he actually goes on to, I, I don't know if this is his phrase or, or uh, if it's been invented by someone else, but this optimum viable product. But to me, that makes little sense uh, in the context of things because you're always trying to design something that works. There's, I mean, why would you not? And yeah. that's, so by misunderstanding minimum viable product, he invents mm. something else to counter that. Mm. But <laughs> that it really, that's how, yeah, exactly like you were saying, it, that's how this article sort of starts falling apart for me when I don't trust that he has understood all the things that yeah. he's, he's talking about. Because it makes some valid points, but it's always not, al- not always the right problem that he's discussing. It's not always the right solution. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Point four, and this is the same kind of thing, when mm-hmm. he goes into mm-hmm. start talking about Agile yeah. and, and, and reading what's written there about Agile, doesn't really get what Agile's about as well. It's it's kind of a more waterfall-based way of working. I mean, okay, a lot of big organizations fall into the trap that he describes, but I don't think he's really understood... Um, uh, what the, the solution to that oh, could well, be. Or rather, yeah. that the problem isn't... You, the answer isn't... Um, the, the, answer to, the solution to that problem isn't UX strategy. Mm. It's actually being better at Agile and, um, and understanding Agile and including UX, um, or everyone working together. It's about collaboration. Yeah, in an agile and and iterative way of working, and everyone's on board in the beginning. Um, if you're separating out UX as a, as a stage zero, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's then you're working waterfall. Yeah, you're working. <laughs> but waterfall. if you work in teams where you're actually integrated with the mm-hmm. developers, uh, the planners, uh, the strategists, the the business people, uh, and the UX people in the same room, that's when you have an agile working environment. And that's when you can make awesome products. And that's when you have the ability to make minimum viable products where you can test some things uh, really quickly and, and then move on to creating the final product. Now, I think, I think there's some so, tie up a little bit maybe that um, I think um, there's, a, there's a fair few points in the article that are, that are valid and good. Um, but as a, as a, as a whole, um, the article risks, risks misleading people mm. because it's 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 based on some misunderstandings of fundamental points mm. so we're not saying ux strategy isn't valuable but it's it's not a straightforward solution to the the symptoms that he's laying out there in fact i think it could risk making them worse yeah and in that sense it worries me a bit that the amount of some of the comments at the bottom are high-fiving this and saying fantastic i wish i had this wish i had this article a year ago it would have helped me mm. I'm not sure. And, and, and I also actually want to point out one more thing that's in the introduction to this whole article on the first two paragraphs uh, about the actual term that he actually also points out, that this column uses the term UX strategy because UX is well understood by readers of this publication. Oh, I don't oh, think UX no. is well understood by basically anyone. God, no. I mean, that, that, that's, that's such an excellent thing. Yeah. Um, an article that we're not talking about today... Mm. But now we are. Yeah, we might. Uh, have, yeah, uh, now we're talking about it. Um, yeah, we are including it as the three. Yeah. But um, there was an article um, I read the other day. Um, what uh, what is UX design? Fifteen user experience experts weigh in, mm. and it was a it was an article that um, featured quotes or definitions by fifteen experts. Yeah. Um, saying what is UX design, and none of these fifteen came with the same answer. No, exactly. Right? These are like thought leaders within the yeah. UX community. That's how much yeah. we understand what UX mm. means. Fifteen mm. experts couldn't agree. Mm. Uh, absolutely, mm. yeah. I think that in itself was enough that you need to know that you can't just presume people know what UX means because we don't agree on ourselves. Right, which makes it hard for us to agree on what UX strategy is, of course, as well. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, not an easy column to write. Uh, maybe we've been tough on Paul here, but I think uh, we've made some valid points. Yeah. So, um, now we have um, seven things that make it harder to manage your multinational websites, um, which is an article um, by Lise Yonadi. Nice French pronunciation there, James. I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, hopefully we've got that it's right. on uh, .connection.com under the topic of global content insights. Yeah. And um, on my digital travels, I found this on LinkedIn. Shared, um, did you have a nice trip? I did. It was lovely. <laughs> um, shared by Lisa Welshman. This, uh, I, I, I like, um, one thing I like, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about what this article about. It's, it's talking about the challenges that you have. As a, if, you're, if you're running um, a multinational uh, well, a web presence for a multinational organization. Mm. Uh, maybe you have you know, a dozen uh, regional websites or even maybe 30 plus you know, local sites yeah. as well as your corporate one or your, your, your global one. Um, and this article goes through some of the, the, the problems. Um, that well, seven problems. Actually. actually, seven in particular. <laughs> seven problems that... that or challenges that you have when um, when when managing this because you've yeah. got like everything everybody else you've got limited time limited budget and, and a very complex um, thing to deal with um, and I, I liked what what made me include this or suggest we included this in the show um, is I like it feels kind of down to earth and I, I generally like some of these things that are more you know hands on and, and tell it like it is mm. um, I think even though it's important to have visionary stuff. Um, at times to kind of lift your attention and yeah, pull you out of the... But sometimes you need bit. to understand what you're actually working with yeah, as well. Yeah. And also f- mm. and feel some empathy and, and, and think mm. that you're not alone in some of this and, and that, you know, it's not just me that's kind of having problems dealing with, with yeah. things. And um, It's been a while since I worked on a multinational website and so this actually brought me back and I realized, yeah, they still have the same problems. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I'm actually working with a multinational um, organization just now. Mm. And and they have um, they have lots of websites. Actually, they have lots of brands um, with lots of websites. So it's, it's quite it's quite complex. I mean, there's there's a lot of, of websites. Um, but in, in, if we take this example here of, of thirty five, um, what um, what we're talking about here is content by and large, mm. and um, and the challenge of um, regionalizing content. Yeah. So um, this might be translating it as well. Well, it's about translating it or mm-hmm. uh, regionalizing it, and um, and the process. So both involved. the technology problems of actually having to keep keep track of it, and the problems with working with the CMS and translating every page, maybe, mm-hmm. if that's the way you want to go. Because I'm not sure that. I mean, a lot of companies want to do it that way. They yeah. want to translate sing- every single page in every single country. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's the way to go. No, I think a lot of these mm-hmm. companies. Um, what I've seen, it's everything from the from the ground up is built on. Um, Stemming the kind of you know, fixing the, or stemming the problem, as in fixing the problem in, bottlenecking the problem, as yeah. in the, you, you've got so much you need to deal with, you can't really deal with it. So you have to you have to throttle it into into a, a, a workflow that is bearable. So so that you have you have thirty five websites. Mm. Um, the the content is produced centrally mm. in, in corporate or some kind of global function, mm. um, and then it's pushed out to to local representatives mm. automatically or or manually or whatever. I mean, the example in the article talks about maybe you have to pull it out of your CMS into a into a, like a Word document or mm. something and send it along for for translation and send it out for review. Yeah. And and they don't always get back to you. It comes back. I mean, you can have like four or five different rounds of of, of changes and approvals um 
it's a complex thing and the technology sometimes assists or sometimes hinders but either way they're trying to do this not because it's a perfect solution mm. but because the world they're 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 sat in big and complex it is yeah i think uh it's hard to have people feel ownership that's actually a point she brings up as well have people feel ownership of the content if you're actually having someone else translate what they've done centrally yeah Uh, and that's one of the problems is if you want people to actually have a living breathing website that they feel proud of you have to let people locally produce the content or, or actually have a say in how it should look and feel yeah. uh, and there's also the problem of course I actually did my dissertation on translation between languages oh, that's interesting. of actually doing you can't translate culture no. So you can't reference different things like uh, checkers in the states. We don't play checkers in Europe, well, at least in Sweden as much. Drafts. We play chess. Drafts. I don't even know what that is. Checkers. Okay. It's not called. Um, we but, call it drafts. In, yeah, in um, the UK. Okay. See, that, no, which proves see, your point. Yeah, exactly. I know. Mm. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we, we actually had a great chat a couple, um, uh-huh. probably two years ago now with um, uh, Natalie Nahai. Yes. Um, about the importance of culture mm. and and not just translating, mm. um, but but. Local local interpretation. Mm. So you see, you set a framework of this is this is roughly what this is the um, I suppose strategically this is what we want to communicate. Here you are, local local organisation. Can you, you use these brand values and this kind of strategic direction to create something that is um, correct and and relevant mm. for your local audience? Because you guys down there exactly know exactly how yeah. what makes people tick and, mm. and you know, what makes people mm. react in the way that we mm. want in your country, mm. in your culture, in your organization mm. down there. Mm. I mean, I see this so many times in Swedish organizations that we, for a bizarre reason, we have quite a lot of global organizations based in Stockholm, Sweden. And, and this happens all the time that you push stuff out from, from here in Stockholm, from Sweden. And have to implement it in Spain yep. or in Korea mm. or in Argentina. Mm. And what the hell do we know about them? But exactly. really, when it boils down to mm. it, um, you you don't really know. Of course, in like Japan, it becomes more obvious that the 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 culture, the digital culture as well, mm. is quite different. And it, we think different things are pretty, and different things are fun to look at, and different yeah. things are easy to use. Mm. So it really <laughs> makes it hard, yeah. and you have to be aware of all of that when you're working with multinational websites, yeah. and you have to give people the time and and the uh, tools to work well with that. And I think just this year, I mean, if you are a, 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 a digital channel manager or whatever you, title you've got um, globally, um, and you've got 35 websites, mm. um, regional ones, you straight away you're on to 35 colleagues because you're yeah. going to have a local web manager mm. um, or digital channel owner. Whatever. And they're probably not going to be working full-time. Maybe not. Usually not. No, maybe yeah. they're working with marketing yeah. as well. Who knows? Um, mm. but, if, but even then, mm. they're probably going to have a manager themselves yeah. locally who's maybe a marketing manager mm-hmm. rather than just the kind of um, uh, the digital channel mm-hmm. owner. Um, and then on top of that, they'll probably have someone who's working with them as a product owner mm. or several product owners. So even if we're nice and say that you have three people in each region that you've got to deal with, we're over 100 people now that you have in your direct contact network that you probably have to get buy-in or approval if you're doing something like translating yeah. or deciding any, um, a structure of a website mm-hmm. or, or making adjustments of, of, of how uh, or the conversion flow, maybe how, how, how well a page converts, the goals on a page and, and the content that is needed to make that work. I mean, just, just, the, just the text on a button, you can't literally uh, translate it sometimes. You need to work out what works well in that region. This is a hell of a complex thing to manage. Yeah. And you, you, <laughs> and you can't do it globally and expect it to be perfect everywhere. No. It's all about just, it's about good enough. Or even not even that. 
<laughs> that sounds really depressing. No, no, but I think it is. I think I think there's a uh, there's a lot of mm. lot of work to do yeah. um, with with multinational um, organizations mm. and their web presences. It's out of control. Mm. So, I, th- I think. But uh, this is something that people tend to talk a lot about. Do the websites have to look the same? Uh, I mean, sometimes they don't even have the same products in different countries. Mm. Even that's quite common. Yeah. So I think actually giving away trust and confidence in that mm-hmm. local people can do their job. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tough thing to do, but I think it's it's really important. And you need to be there as a coach for them. Here we go into the coaching stuff again. You need to, you to, need to be a coach mm-hmm. rather than someone who steers them. You have to mm-hmm. give tools. And this ta- this actually can, we can tie this into the yeah. strategy article mm-hmm. previously. Yeah. Uh, to succeed mm-hmm. with a multinational web presence, um, you need to provide a, a, a framework yeah. Not only for digital governance, mm-hmm. but also for for UX mm-hmm. for, and branding. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, we, mm-hmm. most of these companies will have a, a brand guidelines. Uh, you know, they'll have some kind of branding oh, yeah. um, website or something that explains how the brand works. Mm-hmm. But it, you've got to go beyond that to mm-hmm. to. And that to, doesn't mean uh, you, you, you put a stack to, of you don't put a stack of paper with the brand gu- guidelines and saying this has to be 100 pixels wide and has to be in the right hand corner. It you mean you have to give people leeway to actually use it's a this is a tool set. Use it to your best advantage. Yeah. You don't have to do it exactly like we've shown here, yeah. but you need to understand the premise of why exactly. we've tried to organize it this way. This is the framework. Mm. This is why we mm. set this framework. Mm. This is your. This is where you your 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 zone you can work in. Mm. Um, and I think that's the same with translating mm. or dealing with content locally and and working on it um, and websites locally. You've you've got to. Um, switch it around. I mean, I, I, years ago I was all for centralization of some of these things, um, but now I'm all for devolution. <laughs> it's fascinating how it's things change. How life years. works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but I mean, controlled decentralization. I mean, that's that's what yeah what we're, what we're saying about um, guided decentralization. Yeah. yeah. Wow, we didn't read anything from the article, but I think we actually covered all the points she made. But as mm-hmm. as, as listeners will know, um, their homework is to read the articles yes. <laughs> uh, separately to listening to the mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. Preferably before, but I understand that's not always possible. <laughs> Basically impossible. No, I, I tweet them. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. Mm. Nice. Right. So during my digital travels... <laughs> we get around. ...using Google, uh, I was actually doing uh, research uh, for a talk I'm, I'm doing on the same day that this episode is uh, being released, uh, by chance. Uh Around this theme of uh, websites becoming very similar to each other uh, and reducing friction to the extent that they are too easy to use, if you can say that. That we, that we, we use websites on autopilot. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so the article is uh, Meta Moments, Thoughtfulness by Design. It's an Alistair Part article by Andrew Grimes. And I found this through another article that linked to it, uh, which was called A, Li- A Little Friction Can Be a Good Thing. And I mentioned that because that's a good summary of actually what 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 Andrew is saying. It's uh, actually written in it was May May this year. Yeah, May, May this year, twenty fifteen. Yeah, um, but it doesn't always have to be new articles that we find. Oh no, as long as they're interesting. Uh, yep, as long as we uh, pick them up. These little flowers from the field. <laughs> oh, you and your poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Andrew is, uh, is is trying to make a point here about how we're always focusing on removing uh, friction. We're uh, eliminating obstacles. We're making it extremely easy to use websites. Uh, What's the name of the article? Meta Moments. I mentioned that. Meta Moments. Thoughtfulness by Design. Okay. Sorry, that was me just catching up. (laughs) 
I'm trying, trying to pay attention. Yeah, I'm trying to go, okay, so I'm going to go slower now because right. sometimes you have to go slower for people to actually find, the, find time to think about yeah. what they're going to do. Mm. If you think, if anyone's read the book uh, by the Nobel Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, a lot of the points that he makes in that book are, are being made here as well. I've read the so, first four chapters. Okay, see? Like I always uh, do. There's probably... <laughs> that prob that's probably enough to get the gist of it yeah. because he talks about system one and system two and, and Andrew Grimes is here talking about designing for fast experiences and designing for f slow experiences mm. and we're so focused on designing for fast experiences and getting that conversion that sometimes we're not allowing people to stop and think if they're doing the right thing for the goal that they are trying to achieve we know that the website has a goal and we're trying to get people to that end goal but are we allowing users to stop and think about, is that the end goal that they are actually after? Mm. Uh, and he, he lists uh, a couple of ways to deal with this, and he calls them roadblocks, speed bumps, and diversions. A roadblock is something that's basically really annoying and stops you in your tracks uh, yeah, so it's a from, from continuing. Yeah. And you're actually, well, maybe just creating an account to go on is, is an example. I think he has the example of, of uh, oh, you mean like that? All right, okay, the good. Google inbox where mm. you actually have to wait in line even invitation to get only. an account, invitation mm. only, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it, it creates intrigue and, and uh, uh, curiousness and can be very annoying, uh, but also a lot, gives you a lot of time to think about, is this something that I really, really want? Best case scenario. So speed bumps, not as uh, in your face, uh, but they're more there to help you. Uh, a perfect example would be an onboarding process when you download a new app and there's, a, there's some screenshots there or, or even a video that tells you how to use the app. But you really, really want to go on and use the app. But it's there and perhaps if you actually pay attention to it, it will give you some pointers on how to better use the app because not everything can be intuitive in the end. And the diversions that he talks about are things that actually deviate from the from the conventional paths that, that you know, we have in a website and perhaps surprise us and, and bring something else into the experience that actually perhaps even makes it an experience. Because uh, I think one of the points I'll be making is that we're, we're drawing a straight line between A and B and we're thinking that, okay, the faster people can get from A to B, the better. We've been talking about mm. digital, digital travels today. Mm. Part of the fun of that is actually finding stuff that you didn't expect to find and having an experience because traveling and we do, we're doing our different uh, flows and um, experience maps and customer journey maps. But a journey is about an experience and you can't have an experience without experiencing stuff. Mm. If you're just going from point A to P and people ask you, well, what was the experience like? I have no idea because I didn't really didn't. Mm. feel anything uh, one, one mm. great quote from this article I like is um, it says we distract more than intrigue mm -hmm. and I think that fits in with the, the journey you're talking about or some of our digital yeah. channels when we find these articles yes. I mean it's um, we, we distract we don't distract ourselves it's not like we've kind of had articles like popping up left right and centre mm. we've, we've been intrigued and we found something on a journey that's intrigued us yes. rather than distracted. It becomes maybe a distraction, <laughs> but, but it's not the, it wasn't the kind mm. of, the, the starting point was um, distraction. Um, that's a very good point. But I, um, I think, no, I, I, I like this, the, the, um, the whole thing with friction. Um, or rather, I, I can see the whole thing when we've, we've, we're maturing now mm. um, as, a, as an industry and we're seeing how web design 
isn't standardising completely, but mm. we've 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 now got into the the age of of bootstrap and um, and and themes yeah. and um, it's really simple to build websites yeah, and, and, that and, look good and conversion optimization or at least you yeah. know, landing pages and and sign. I mean, mm. there's a lot of stuff that we we've we've worked out that certain things work in certain ways. It's mm. a successful design. Now um, that that then leads to a situation where we can do things on autopilot. Mm. Because you know you click the big green button or red or orange button or whatever. I mean, it's certain it's logging in or signing mm. up in certain situations. You make mistakes because maybe you know you didn't see that check button or something that wasn't quite as you expected. Completely. Or on another website that looked almost yeah, the same. Yeah, so you usually click there, so you click there. So you're kind of close, but <laughs> yeah. not completely the same. Yeah. But so we we mm. we get very familiar with it. We love we love things being. Um, very familiar and very similar. We we don't like change, so so standardising is very natural. Mm. Um, but that does then just cause problems. That it's frictionless, and that isn't a good thing. Like you've said, yeah. and the article says, we need to slow people down or or raise flags when they need to be raised at the right moments to ensure that they don't deviate from their task that we're trying to do. Mm. Like, like I mentioned there with a mm. checkbox. I mean, if 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 there is something you need to read or do while logging in, mm. and it's a chance that you would trip over that. Mm. Then we need to work on to make sure that that does trip them over in a in a good way that helps their experience rather than annoys them. Yeah, and this doesn't mean you add like painful stuff all the time. It means mm. that you have to be you have to know what your users are doing. You, you have to know where they might stumble. You have to know where they might make the wrong choice mm. or potentially the wrong choice for what they're trying to do. And that's where you actually add something. Uh, where whether it be something that he calls deviation, or diversion, or whatever, uh, or a speed bump, but you need to think about you, that, and you need to know about your users. Users, users. Wow, that's a hard <laughs> word. <laughs> users are hard. <laughs> well, uh, this, I mean, this kind of stuff, though, the need for the need for friction <clears throat> that will surface with usability testing, or, or exactly um, because making things easy. That's something that we're really good at. But making them hard at valid points and the journey, that's something that really requires research. Mm. So if you're doing your job well, you'll know where to put in the, in the speed bumps. But if you're not, not doing anything but interaction design, you're just make, trying to make things simple, then you, people will just breeze through, but they won't have an experience. They might even not even remember it. It's not something that will bring them back. Or I'll, leave, I'll even have the example of... Uh, Amazon one-click buy button. Mm. I thought too that easy. When I, I thought that was excellent when I actually activated it, the one-click mm. buy button. And if you're not aware of it, actually, when I click that button, I buy yeah. the book. The, I see the book. I click that button. It, it, it charges my credit card, and it's sent to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I started doing that, and I realized, oh my god, I'm ordering too many books here. Yeah. Now I, I have, I have. Um, well, for me, I have it turned off for most of on Amazon, but I have it turned on for, well, or it is on for Kindle yeah. books. And I've realized um, that I don't remember I've bought stuff. Yeah. Or rather, because because the because it's so easy yeah. that 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 thing that trigger that says purchase complete that that memory of oh I bought that I now mm. own that thing it it doesn't isn't there mm. with with the Kindle purchase yeah. and I, I suppose this is partly because. Mm. I'm on Amazon's website, probably on my, my laptop or something like this. I've clicked on a single button, and that's the end of the experience. It then gets automatically downloaded to my Kindle, which possibly isn't even in the same building as me at that time. So I've got to remember that I've bought that book next time I pick up the Kindle, yeah. which could be, the, it could be a couple of days later. <laughs> 
or it could be that I just don't get around yeah. to it and I completely forget because I haven't got the triggers, the, the things that yeah, tell me that right. purchase done, purchase complete, mm. or you know, there isn't a parcel arriving mm. at the post. It isn't something that I can take home from a shop. It's, it's just, a, just a click. So there really is an just ethic, ethical side to this as well. Sure, you can make it easy and you can probably make some money out of making it really, really easy for people mm. to click stuff. Mm. But is that ethical? Is that a good way to approach the sign? Is that mm. a way to help users accomplish their goals? Their oh, goals? Yeah, so, so, so Amazon's mm. Kindle one by or one click button probably earns them a lot of money. Of course. But how much does it degrade mm. the overall mm. satisfaction and mm. user experience? For people making purchases, or even have an impact on their personal life. I'm spending too many, too much money on books. What am I doing? But it's so much fun, so I'll keep doing it. But are you taking responsibility for the whole experience? Probably not. Mm. So I think you should, yes, eliminate needless obstacles. Uh, I mean, Steve Crook's books is called "Don't Make Me Think." I think he's actually gone back on that when he's been criticized, and he said, "Well, perhaps it's don't make me think needlessly." Yeah. Uh, which means that sometimes there, you have to make a point out of making people think. So eliminate obstacles, sure, but add the quirkiness, the personality, and the playfulness of the design as well. I mean, if we, talk, we talk a lot about gamification. In gamification, we talk about making stuff harder. In UX, we always talk about making stuff easier. Why is that? Game, games are fun too hmm. because they're hard, because they have that specific... Uh, intrigue intrigue uh, or challenge that you want to mm-hmm. achieve and you, it makes you able to achieve it because it sort of coaches you and gives you, gives you clues as to what to do and the, the more we can actually also coach users into not being afraid to click something uh, think about am I in the right place and then go on then we're actually helping users navigate the whole web and not just our website do you know I've just, just struck me I wonder if that's why MailChimp, because I mean, I send out the, the backstage email for for the yeah. show to our, our mailing list to, to tell them uh, a bit about the, the shows that we've mm. um, released. And when I when I press the schedule button to send, or to schedule or to send away the, the backstage email, MailChimp then display kind of a full, it's a big layer that comes on top of the, the dashboard with a kind of, you know, celebratory um, cartoon figure, <laughs> yeah. uh, or you know, saying, yeah. "Woohoo!" It's kind of your your emails, you know, scheduled. It's on yeah. its way. Mm. Um, and I'm reflecting on that now. Mm. I wonder if that's to basically properly put a um, a, a kind of a, a I suppose a line in the sand, saying, "You know, you've done that job now. Yeah, here, you know, here's, here's the hug. Here's mm. the kind of mm. the, the group hug that we've done mm. the job and the the very specific closure mm. of that task, so that you don't." Miss, you don't suspect that you maybe haven't sent it or exactly, you haven't yeah, scheduled yeah. it. Um, no, that's probably why they're doing that. I just had a meta moment. <laughs> nice. Always great fun doing a link show. We had so much to talk about there. I was I'm actually a bit surprised about all the stuff we had to talk about on each, each of those articles. You're still surprised about that. No, uh, yes, I am actually. Really? Because I'm, I come here with an empty head and, and I, don't, I just read the titles of these articles and I, all these, this shit comes to me. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and that, and that, and that. Uh, I don't think your head's ever really properly empty. You know. But we've, um, mm. in, this, in this show, actually, we've, we've, we've cross-referenced quite a few previous shows. Oh yeah, we have. And uh, actually, by chance, I just uh, pulled them up on my screen here. Uh, I think we talked about... Uh, yeah, we, we mentioned Natalie Nahai. 
uh, uh, yeah, with, with culture, culture, um, the importance of, mm. of, of culture and uh, in, in persuasion. And we interviewed her in episode fifty-six. That's the Conversion Jam three episode. Yeah, episode fifty-six. Yeah. And then we talked. Uh, we should mention Lisa. Actually, uh, that was episode Lisa, ninety. Lisa Welshman. Yeah. Yeah. Episode ninety-two. Uh, both with regards to uh, UX strategy, and she was the one who actually recommended the article that you found. Yes, mm. episode ninety-two, and uh, along the lines of UX strategy as well, uh, Jared Spool we talked uh, to in episode eighty-eight. Uh, James and Pear and Jared leave sheep alone. Yeah, don't mention the sheep. <laughs> yeah. uh, which was a tweet about uh, the UX strategy process. Uh, that we talked about for an hour with him. Yeah, when um, if it doesn't start mm. with deep views of research and mm. your your strategy isn't about UX, mm. and that was episode mm. eighty eight. Uh, and if you're perhaps not in complete agreement with uh, our definition of uh, minimum viable product, then you should certainly listen to episode eighty nine when we talk to this is our, this is our Christmas show, uh, Christmas special. Yes, last, um, last yeah, Christmas, last Christmas exactly. Yeah. And we talked to Russ Unger, Stephen Anderson, and Jeff Gothelf about minimum viable viable product. Yeah, that, was that was a really good, a really interesting mm. educational mm. panel discussion, mm. effectively, that we had, uh, and that was episode eighty-nine. Yeah. So that was a little bit of extra extra listening for you if you yeah. want to dive back into our back catalogue. Then of course you'll catalog. be putting all these links also in the show notes online. There so will be go there. Yeah. And um, if you enjoy the show, um, then you could do a couple of things for us. One thing would be reviews on iTunes, always useful. And incredibly difficult to get people to do that. Yeah. Um, I, a simpler thing, yeah. if you listen to us on Stitcher, click on that little thumbs up, which is at the bottom of your screen now. Um, oh, yeah. So press that. That's a good thing to do as well. I do that, actually. I listen to a lot on Stitcher, even though I have an iPhone. Mm. They're not mm. sponsoring us, but we do like Stitcher. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you can share the show um, on Twitter. And if you want to do that, we're UX Podcast. One word if you want to mention it. Um, the show notes, as Paris already mentioned, will be available on uxpodcast.com, as is our entire back catalogue of shows. Yes. SoundCloud doesn't quite have them all. Not yet. We'll have <sighs> to talk to them. I have. I know you talk to them, but... It it's will. not possible to put old ones up without making them come to the front. We just have to find the right person, as always. The person who responded to you is not the person who could probably help us. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Thinking of governance here. Okay, you're quite right. We need to. If you don't, know, so if you know someone at SoundCloud that can allow us to, to, to cheat and put old episodes into their um, database, then uh, get in touch. Um, Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> we're your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Per Axboom. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.